Hello, and welcome back to K-Day's Comments. I'm your host, K-Day, and I hope you all have been having a wonderful day so far. Now let's get into it. So both readings this week are from the book Ballet and Modern Dance, A Concise History by Jack Anderson. And the first section is titled Glimpses of the Past, which is very fitting because it discusses ancient dances and art from Greek culture as well as the Roman Empire and the Middle Ages. But first I want to discuss the very first page of this reading. Um, it begins by saying, as long as humans have roamed this earth, they've danced. Um, which just makes my heart so happy because it sort of reaffirms my own beliefs that dance and movement are keys to the soul um, that also hold a lot of knowledge and power in very unique and abstract ways. Um, and it's just like a different language, another form of communication, and I just, it's, it's just amazing. Uh, and there was also another quote that I loved, which was, just as people are always aware of the movement around them, so their bodies may instinctively respond to situations through movement before their minds and tongues have been able to verbalize a response. And this idea is just something that I really connect to because I think movement is always one of the first expressions we see before anything else. Uh, for example, there are tiny micro expressions your face can make when you're experiencing a strong emotion. Um, and then the body also um, usually responds in other ways, like contracting when you cry or feel upset. Um, you know, you get that sunken feeling in your chest. Um, or people jump up and down when they're happy uh, and so on. But I think movement is just much louder than any spoken word. Um, some other quotes that stuck out to me were that each great civilization produces its own major dance form. Uh, this made me wonder what this would be for each and every country um, or other civilizations and what uh, would dance look like if we all taught it to one another and would it lose its culture and meaning uh, or would its uh, new ideas and styles flourish and evolve into something we've never seen before. Um, yeah, so those are just some questions that were floating around my head. Uh, I also thought the two dichotomies that Apollo and Dionysus represented were really interesting. Um, it stated that Apollonian art was notable for its serene majesty and formal balance, and Dionysian art is unrestrained and ecstatic. Um, and I just love uh, Greek mythology for some reason. <laughs> um, it's probably because of the book Percy Jackson. I don't know. <laughs> um, but everything from that period of time is just like my cup of tea. I really love reading about it and learning about it. Um, and I also really like how the Greeks thought that dance was divinely inspired. Um, I just think that's super dope. <laughs> and one thing that surprised me while I was reading was when it shifted into talking about um, dance in the Middle Ages. They mentioned that ballet derived from Italy, and in all honesty, I did not know that, which feels very ignorant of me since that just seems like something I should have known by now. Um, so I'm slightly embarrassed, but uh, you know, it's okay. You live and you learn. <laughs> um, but switching on over to the next reading, which was from the following chapter titled Dance at the Royal Courts, um, where the author, guess what? discuss dance of the royal courts. It started off by talking about 
Catherine de' Medici and how she was very particular about the arts um, and wanted it to be done in a specific lavish way, especially the ballets. Um, but she was also known for um, her fashion involving the use of cosmetics. And she also had a thing for mirrors as well. She created this hall of mirrors that had 119 mirrors up, uh, which then eventually evolved into large mirrored walls, um, similar to what we see in like dance studios. Um, and uh, the ballets that were created during this era had no stage and contained recitations and songs that were typically derived from literary sources um, and lasted about six hours, which is absolutely insane to me because I can barely stand watching a ballet that's half that time. Um, but another thing that I thought was interesting to read was that um, audience members were permitted to uh, sit on like stages when they were created um, and eventually they would uh, even join the ballet towards the end of the performance. Um, and that just uh, was really interesting to me because I wonder, you know, how that could, um, if that were present in our society today and that was normalized, like how would that change the dance experience, you know, when you went to go see a show? Um, and this kind of gave me a connection back to an old piece that I performed at Ball State. Um, through the choreography projects. Um, one of the piece was from choreographed by Keely and um, Keely Whistle, sorry. Uh, she had a start in the audience um, for her piece. And one by one, uh, each member of the piece would get up and start like entering the space and dancing. And I thought that just made it really personal and intimate and I, I really liked that experience and I honestly wished that more of the audience members could come up and participate, but, but yeah, anyways, um, I also thought it was interesting that they focused on geometrical patterns and symbols for their formations, um, because the audience perspective was from above. And what was also strange to read, uh, was that they had horse ballets, so it would train horses to dance per se, or or move in those intricate formations, which I thought was odd and not in a negative way, just a bit weird, like why use horses? <laughs> but anyways, the book also touched on gender roles in ballets. So men were assigned jumps and the fancy steps um, and the women uh, were, um, emphasized, you know, moving with grace and lightness and restraint. Uh, the men usually played the women's roles, uh, which we saw with the Japanese dance forms as well. Um, but I keep wondering if they started letting women dance just to view them as sexual objects or put them on a pedestal for the sole purpose of satisfying the male gaze. On another note, I thought it was interesting how they used the back of chairs or taut rope as what we know as today um, as the bar in ballet classes. So I thought it was really interesting to read about the previous methods used to train their dancers. Uh, but to move on, the last thing I wanted to talk about was how eventually dance became the main event at all the courts of Renaissance Europe. 
Um, and it was primarily emphasized in France under the reign of King Louis the Fourteenth, who was also a well-trained ballet dancer from a very young age. Um, he was also called uh, the Sun King and was associated with the sun. Um, he made everything a theatrical spectacle, um, but that paved the way for elaborate dances to be created and choreographed, because during this time was when like full-length ballets were being choreographed, and that was the first time, you know, I think in history that we'd seen uh, solely dance performances and like, you know, um, a lot of choreography. Um, but uh, anyways, when he retired, um, he wanted to ensure ballet's stability as an art. So he established an academy of dance, which then led to the start of the Paris Opera Ballet. And that is said to be the world's oldest ballet company um, that still exists today. And it's just crazy that something with such deep historical roots is still alive and well today. Um, and although that era had its dark and messed up moments, you know, with its sexism, misogyny, and racism, and, you know, all the things, all the isms, uh, we owe a great deal of that time of entertainment um, because it involved, evolved into what we have now. Um, and, you know, I think, I think that's super cool. Uh, well, that's all I have for you today. Um, thanks so much for joining me. I hope you guys have a great weekend. Um, and stay tuned for next week's episode. Peace!